Welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Keith Case. I'm a pastor here at Providencia. Our text tonight is from Exodus 19, verse 6, and 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. Uh, these are from the NIV, and they'll be on the screen here uh, behind us. You can also follow along with the Bible in your pew. Starting in verse 6, chapter 19 of the book of Exodus. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And jumping forward to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a temple of the Spirit, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, we are in a series this whole year called Rooted, and this month we're talking about being rooted in our mission, mission centrality. What is our focus? Being rooted in that center focus of what it is that we are about here at Providencia. What is our mission? And last week um, we started off with Drew Melton preaching, and Drew uh, took us to the story of Abraham. And if you remember, there's like, you know, the beginning of Genesis. It starts off and it's like very cosmic and it's this huge, you know, big picture. And if you've ever seen uh, the film, The Tree of Life, it's one of my favorite scenes, but you're, you're like at the rings of Jupiter. And then the next thing, uh, you're at this little baby's head in a crib. And the, the, the magnitude and the, the contrast between the galaxies and all these stars and then to a baby's head. And we kind of have that same thing happen when we go from Genesis in this cosmic picture all the way to chapter 11 when we get zeroed in on this one man named Abraham. And so there's this contrast. And, and what was this thing that happened with this man Abraham is that God put a calling on his life and that calling was that he would be a blessing to all nations. That he and his people, his descendants would be a blessing to all nations. And if you think about uh, our 
a vision, mission statement here at Providencia, we say so that all may flourish. And really, we are hoping that our church is a part of helping this ecosystem here in our city that really sees a city where everyone in this city has that opportunity. Everyone in this city has the resources, that the soil here is so fertile that everyone has that opportunity to flourish. And that word all is so important to us. It's not just so that those who go to church may flourish. It's not so uh, all the Christians may flourish or all the good people may flourish. We want to see a city where all flourish. People in, these, uh, in this building here, uh, in other buildings, but around this city and around the world. So last week it was that we're called to be this blessing. This week it's, call, it's that we're called to be a kingdom of priests. How does this happen? How do we become a blessing to all? And it's in this role that we're going to unpack tonight, this calling that started way back in Genesis. It started back in Exodus, uh, that first scripture we read tonight, and continues on into the New Testament when Peter is talking. And Peter is, is writing to the church, and he's saying, church, you too are a royal priesthood. So we have this connection all the way back in Exodus, the second book of the Old Testament, to Peter, this epistle in the New Testament, and he's calling us a royal priesthood as well. As I said, Drew set that up for us last week, and this week, they're going to be talking about this connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have scriptures from both tonight. The connection. What is the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament? And they're going to be exploring that on Tuesday night at VXIT. I know that Danny already uh, mentioned this, but Paul, who owns VXIT, is here tonight, and he's been hosting this class. He hosted our story group retreat. He's done that all just out of the generosity of his own heart, his family, his company. So I just want to thank uh, Paul for that and you know, give him a, a warm uh, you know, welcome. And I know uh, last week, every week the class is growing, uh, this class Reimagine. It should be called uh, the class to freedom uh, because that is what people are saying afterwards. Like, oh man, this is like a new understanding. Like, oh, I feel so much better. Like, oh, I can breathe. You wouldn't believe the things that I heard growing up. Or if you didn't come from the church, like I had no idea because I just saw what Christianity was presented to me in the media or what some of the celebrity pastors have presented uh, to me on TV or, or, or in different uh, venues through Twitter or social media or whatever. But this is giving me new life. This is giving me new perspective. This is helping me to imagine or reimagine. And so just so grateful for Drew and his leadership in that class. And I, I'm so excited. We're going to be doing this class in an extended format in the fall. But I don't, I don't know how more to communicate to you that I want you to be there. If you can be there, I mean, bring your kids, uh, bring your aunt and uncle, bring your grandma, uh, bring your neighbors, invite your friends, invite your enemies. You want to be at this class on Tuesday night, okay, 7 p.m. at VXIT, and they're going to be exploring the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what's beautiful about this is that that space, part of it is that you get to share your experience or lack thereof with these ideas and these things that we're talking about. This space is not just where Drew is, you know, giving you a bunch of information. He's inviting you out to come and share your stories, your experiences, and to wrestle with these ideas. 
And it's been a beautiful, beautiful thing. And tonight, as we turn to this text that, that I just read for us, we have again that Old Testament uh, word from Genesis, I mean from Exodus, where Moses is saying that we are called to be this royal priesthood, that the, these Hebrew people that he's writing that text to are called to be a kingdom of priests. That just strikes me as such a weird phrase, a kingdom of priests. Like what happens in a kingdom of priests, right? Imagine just a massive kingdom of priests. Like we all fly on an airplane, you know, like tons of airplanes come in from the kingdom of priest land and the priests are all getting off the plane like, hey, hey, how's it going? What, what would that look like to meet a kingdom of priests? What would it be like to go to that kingdom? A kingdom full of priests. And as we skip to the New Testament, uh, Peter is saying this idea, this kingdom of priests applies to this new thing, the church. That you are a royal priesthood. That we are called to be a kingdom of priests. But what even, what even is a priest? What even is a priest. Um, in Exodus 19.6, he calls us a kingdom of priests. And then as we go to uh, verse 1 in, in Peter, he says, rid yourselves of these things. Priests. He's calling them priests. Rid yourselves of these things. Malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and slander. And what is ma malice is this intent to harm. It's often rooted in bitterness, rooted in hatred. It's like, I am going to make you pay. I am going to make you pay. And I'm sitting there scheming on ways to make people pay. You ever caught yourself doing that? Man, I've had some crazy dreams right before I fall asleep. Some people that I would like to make them pay. Peter's saying, if you're going to be a priest, as you're going on this journey, becoming a priest, rid yourselves. Set yourself free from malice. And then the other things, deceit, hypocrisy, slander. As you, as you look into those, each of those, really what each of those is about is about lying, is about covering up, is about making someone else look bad so that you look better. So it's really, those other three are all about hiding and not being seen and not truly being known. So how do we rid ourselves of malice? How do we rid ourselves of stopping this process of hiding from each other, of trying to make ourselves look as somebody that we're not? And one of the ways that we invite you to do that here is through this thing called story group, where you sit around and you tell stories from your life, and you talk about things that have been impactful in your life, including your wounds. Because it's in our wounds often that bitterness takes root. And if we do not attend to these wounds, they become infected, and bitterness and malice begins to grow. It's one of the reasons we also invite you to get into counseling, to process your story, to process your life. And some of that actually happens with our staff, and some of that actually happens with peer-to-peer -peer here in our church. But we want to spend the time to actually be present with each other, to know our stories, 
I've heard stories from people on our staff spending four hours with someone, just listening to them. Are you kidding? Who has four hours? This person did. And spent four hours listening to this person. And by the end, the person who was sharing felt so understood. It has been transformative in their life. I mean, when was the last time you had someone spend that much time listening to you? So this journey of becoming a priest, unpacking our stories so that we can heal. And verse 2, become like a baby, crave pure spiritual milk that you may grow up in your salvation. Another way to say that is, or that you might mature in your freedom. You're going back to that Exodus imagery, right, of leaving their life of slavery. They've gone into the desert now, and they're in this process of maturing as they go to this new kingdom that they're going to establish here on earth. And that Christ calls us in this process to mature in our freedom, to mature, to crave pure spiritual milk, to crave the gospel, to crave this message of freedom. This thing that sets us free from our slavery. In verse 3, tasted the Lord is good. How did Israel taste that the Lord was good? When they were set free, when God heard their cries, when they were crying out from their slavery, and he sent Moses to set them free. That's when they tasted it. And he's saying, continue to, to long for that. Continue to crave that freedom that Moses gave you, now to the New Testament, that Christ has given you. You are a slave to sin. You've been crying out. Christ has come to set you free. Crave the freedom that he gives you. And that freedom allows us to stop hiding from God. Stop hiding from each other. Stop hiding even from ourselves. That you can come out, that you can be known on this road to freedom. My question for you tonight as we continue is, are you hiding parts of yourself here tonight? Are there parts of you that you don't get to share with anybody? That the journey of becoming a priest is a journey where you don't have to hide. A community of people who have tasted the freedom of being known and loved by God, by each other. And they're inviting others on this journey. How are they doing this? Uh, I don't know uh, if you know this, but yesterday uh, there was a march in D.C., a pride march. And in the middle of the march, they thought that they heard gunshots. And uh, people scattered and ran everywhere. So many people there from, um, you know, in the city of D.C. that are marching. And if you've seen the footage at all, people, it was just hysteria. People are terrified. And, and many of the people that were there have had histories of maybe being bullied, maybe being ostracized. And on top of that, on top of that, the fear of violence from guns. You know, churches now, we, we have to have like security guards. They have like police officers at churches now, movie theaters, all these places today in our culture. And people are so afraid and terrified. And, and people are running for their lives. And there was a, um, 
a tweet, a message that went out from a local pastor there, and it was, it was a progressive church, and they said, hey, if, if you are scared, if you uh, you know, need, need a space to just come and rest, our church doors are open. And this tweet kind of went viral because this church was opening its doors to this community that was there marching that was scared. And when I saw it, I actually became sad. And the reason that I became sad is because this, this thing became popular because of the contrast to the church. It wasn't that what was happening wasn't a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. But why is that not a regular thing? Why is that not an expected thing? Why was that not, of course, of course I can run there. Of course that's a safe space. What world are we living in? What has happened to the church of Jesus Christ that we have become so embedded in political conversations with the empire that we have forgotten the call that Christ has on us, despite whatever your views might be, to embrace the person that comes through that door? See, the priests were building something. They were called to build a house, a temple. Um, and we get in here in verse 4. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, he's the cornerstone. Lay your life on him. Verse 5, you are living stones being built into a spiritual house, or better translated, a house full of his spirit. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Can I get an amen? Mm, felt that, y'all. Okay, so... A house full of the Holy Spirit, a house doing the work of his kingdom, a house of humility, a house caring for the vulnerable, a house ready to listen, a house ready to hear, a house ready to pray, a house ready to work for the sake of the least of these. This is what it means when it says spiritual sacrifices. It's not talking about some Gnostic idea uh, of some like the, the spirit world is all that matters and, you know, get into this spiritual milk that's like floating around up here in the air or, uh, you know, offer some spiritual sacrifices. It's not like something you conjure up inside and go, I'm getting spiritual. Ah, here's my spiritual sacrifice. <coughs> Your spiritual sacrifice is loving the person who lives across the street from you. I mean, it's so funny, you guys. I, my my uh, neighbors down the street, they're, they're Puerto Rican, and we have this special place for Puerto Rican people. But anyway, they're like grandma and grandpa age. Once a month, they stop by our house, and they bring us a massive dessert. Sometimes it's flan. They have no idea that I'm lactose intolerant. But sometimes... They just bring, and tonight, we're leaving in the morning, Harper and I are, uh, they brought us this huge tiramisu cake. It's sitting right back there. We're taking it to Whole Foods. But she stops by. I'm in the shower. I just hear Harper talking in the den. I almost like walked out there. I was like, oh my God, what's happening? And uh, the lady is dropping off. I, the guy, when we moved into our neighborhood, he walks the street every Monday morning, because that's when our garbage comes, every Friday morning. And you know what he does? He puts the lid back on the garbage can and carries it into everybody's yard. Nobody asks him to do it. You know why he does it? 
Because he wants our street to be safe. He wants the people who drive down our street to know, oh, it looks like everybody's here because everybody pulled their garbage in. There's a garbage can left out on the street with the top open. They left for work. They're not there. But if the garbage can is in the yard, then somebody is there. These people do this stuff all the time. I'm like, you are my teacher, you know? It's like I got Mr. Miyagi living on my street teaching me the ways. I mean, this, these are like the very, very practical ways. But I see this more than anything else in this generation. You know, we're this funny church because we have, we have 25 to 35-year-olds. If you're out of that, that's okay. I'm, I'm 42. But, but we have this church and people are like, man, how, why are all these young people at your church? You know, what is it that they, that they see there? What is it that they're looking for? And I'll say one thing that unites all of you is that you want to see the gospel lived out in real and tangible ways. Right? It is. It's like you're longing for that. Like when I read the book of Acts when I was a kid and they said there was no need among them. I was like, can we do that? I was at a very affluent church. The church had a lot of money. I'm like, can we do this? Could this happen in our community? And they're like, well, well, that was back then. You know, things have changed. I'm like, really? Now, there are so many obstacles so many obstacles culturally to live these things out like your time like fear i don't know my neighbor what if they don't like me fences are nice um so many obstacles we're so transient here in our neighborhood in our neighborhoods probably most of you here in this church right now are not from here if you go to other churches here, a lot of them are. But for most of us in this church, we're, we, are, we are like come refugees, right? Come immigrants to the West Palm Beach area. We welcome you. We want you here. And other churches do that, here, do that as well. But it's just a reality that is very hard. And because of your age, at some point, you're probably going to think about moving on. And we're saying, please stay. Please root yourself here in the city. Become a doorkeeper here to the city because we need more people to keep the doors open. We need more people living out the gospel in real ways at the street level. I love that Peter gives us this image that we are a living stone and that together, not just individually, but together we become something. We become a community where people can taste, taste this kingdom, that we get to offer this. And Peter's going back to the book of Isaiah as he's quoting a lot of these uh, verses here. And he's talking uh, to, um, he's, he's quoting that because at the time, the prophet Isaiah is there in, in um, the southern part of the kingdom of Israel, and the invasions are coming. And one of those invaders is going to be the, the, the empire, Babylon. They're going to come and they're going to run the whole place over and they're going to take the people off into captivity. And, and, and Peter's wanting the, the Christians now to begin reading and understanding those who are new to the faith and those who are old to the faith, the Jews who are part of the community. He's wanting them to remember what it was like when Babylon came. 
And what some scholars will say is that when Peter is writing this, in fact, in uh, chapter 5, he says that he's writing from Babylon. And, and some say maybe he's in like literal Babylon, but, but others will say, no, no, where he is is he's in the capital of the empire. He's in Rome, the capital of the empire. And he's writing from there. And he's wanting them to know that there is something stronger than the empire. There's something that will give you more security than the empire. There's something that will protect your kids more readily and without sleeping and, and doesn't tweet more than the empire. There's something to put your trust and your hope in. And it's not Caesar. It's not the empire. But it's the vulnerable God. It's the God who gave his life. It's the God who stretched out his arms. It's the God who tore the curtain from top to bottom. It's the God who conquered death. But he is a vulnerable God. He is a God who calls us into that same posture in our lives. It is very risky. Is very risky. And you remember C.S. Lewis, he always gets quoted. If you love something, you know, if you love something, you're going to get hurt. So let me tell you right now, if you don't want to get hurt, don't love something. But if you want to live, you were made to love. You were made to love. And God's love has been on display for us. And he says, for those of us who have experienced, those of us who have tasted that love, the stone becomes precious. But to those who reject it, to the empire, to the empire, to the empire, that stone is going to bring you down. That stone is going to trip you up because of God's just mercy. It will do that. Church, in whom have we put our trust? In whom have we put our trust? In empire or in the cornerstone Christ? And part of my journey right now and part of what I've been experiencing and reimagined is this journey of unpacking the ways in which I thought being American was the same thing as being a Christian. That being a man was the same thing as being a Christian. I'm going to tell you that I was, I was talking to some ladies the other day, and, and it was when the abortion thing happened. And, and again, politics and different views and all that stuff, I understand. But this one individual, as they were hearing about the abortion stuff and the laws and everything that were coming out of, of some of the states, they said, they just talked about this show that I've never seen before called Handmaid's Tale. And they were like, this is Handmaid's Tale, it's coming true. And I'm like, what, what's happening? And, and they start, I'm like, tell me, what's the story? And they start telling me the story. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, this is provoking that kind of fear? And she's like, yes. And I'm so blind. As a man, I'm so culturally blind to the realities of the fears that so many of you live and deal with every day. But as a priest, we must listen 
Listen to the fears of the people. Listen to the wounds. Listen to the pain. Uh, I'm sure many of you know that the French opening uh, or the French Open was this week. And I'm not sure if uh, you saw the story. I know it kind of went viral. But um, one of the French tennis players, 37 years old, and he's, he's famous for his doubles. That's where he's like the best. He's like world champion in doubles, right? Uh, but he's getting older, and he was in the singles, and he made it to the quarterfinals, and this was his last time ever to play singles in the tournament. And he's from France, and he loses in front of his home crowd. And it's like he's hanging up the shoes. I mean, so much sacrifice. I don't, I don't know if anybody here has ever tried to become a professional athlete, but it's so glamorized. Uh, but, but the realities are people sleep in their cars. You know, the majority of the professionals sleep in their cars. They're making all these sacrifices, not seeing their family, all these sacrifices. And this platform, all these things that he had, he's coming to an end. And the man is sitting on side court there, and he begins to become visibly emotional. The match is over. French Open. And then the camera, you see this little boy, this little seven-year-old boy running across the court. This is a prestigious event. You can't just like walk out onto the court. But he has jumped the fence and is running across the clay court to his dad. And he just goes around, puts a hug around his dad's neck. He just holds his dad while his dad's weeping. Guys, so powerful. People, people in the stands are weeping. The guy that just beat him, his opponent, is weeping. They pan over, and the guy's like, oh, my God, what have I done, you know? Um, he's weeping. That's mercy. You know you're doing mercy when your enemies start weeping. When your opponents start weeping, you know that you're living into mercy, that, that the walls that culture has put around you and said, you have to stay in here, this is your parameters, you have to do that, and you say, no, that person's hurting right there, I'm going over the wall, I don't care, and I'm going to go and sit by them, I'm going to embrace them, I'm going to hold them, I'm going to hug them, I'm going to be with them in front of the whole world to see. Peter says, there was a time when you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What does it mean to be a royal priesthood? Is that we together as a community share the mercy, the compassion of God to the hurting world around us? That we climb over, we climb over the walls culturally. Okay, excuse me, I'm sorry. I know there's a picket line here, I know, but this person's hurting right here. That that is the call that we have as his people in his kingdom to be priests. Priests are the ones who bleed with the people. That God calls us priests, to be present with the people, to build a house of mercy. And if I could just be real open with you, 
and real honest with you about my own journey, my own story, is that I am getting ready to go on vacation in the morning for two weeks. My son and I will wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning. We'll be on the Bright Line at 5 a.m. flying to Tennessee. About, well, March, I was on a campaign to raise $50,000. I was going to fundraise all month long. I fundraised for two weeks. In those two weeks, we got $25,000. Well, our fiscal year ends in August. I still need to raise $25,000. Now, my empire side of me is going into vacation going, oh, I can make this happen over vacation. I'll have a lot more free time. I can do a lot of work while I'm here on vacation. Not, no people to talk to. I can just send emails, make phone calls, do this, do that. But the priest side of me wants you to know that I'm tired and I need a vacation. I need to be with my family. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do fundraising when I'm with my family. The reason I'm sharing that with you is not because I think somebody's going to write that check right now, um, if you want to, you can. Um, just don't tell me about it. Because what I want to do is I just want to not be alone in it. So I raise uh, money for our church to exist because our church doesn't give enough money yet for it to be established on its own, be sustainable. That was the plan, trust me, okay? So there's nothing wrong here. Our church has actually tripled its giving since uh, this time last year. Amazing. Praise God. I just don't want to carry that burden alone anymore. And part of my life and part of my journey is I can do it. I know how to be driven. I know how to work my ass off. I know how to do these things. But I think part of what Christ is calling me to is to not do it alone. That's an area of, like, God, have mercy on me. What area do you need mercy in right now? What area are you trying to walk alone in right now that you could invite somebody into? To be a kingdom of priests doesn't just mean that we carry the burdens of the world but that we actually carry the burdens of this room. And there's hurting people here. Each of us is hurting. To not carry it alone, to let others in. Christ invites us to this meal that we're about to take, partake in. It's funny that he invites us to a meal. A meal where he's broken. And he says, I want all of you to share in that. Everybody, everybody gets to share in my brokenness, in my vulnerability. Everybody gets to eat at this table. So as we come to this table, whatever it is, wherever it is that area of your life that you need mercy, tell the Lord and come and receive it that he is the God of compassion. He is the God of mercy.
that you can be known and be loved here.